0: You're listening to CRST, the podcast, from Bryn Mawr
1: Communications.
0: Welcome to another episode of CRST, the podcast. I'm your host, Ben Lahood. I'm a cataract and refractive surgeon in Adelaide, Australia. Uh, I was honored to serve as the guest medical editor for the August issue of Cataract and Refractive Surgery today. This episode, like our August cover series, zeroes in on a topic that significantly impacts the lives of our patients astigmatism management and cataract surgery. Our August cover series is packed with insights from colleagues from around the globe and I'm honoured to be joined by one of them for this conversation. Together we'll explore topics such as the optimization of A constants in IOL power calculation and managing surgically induced astigmatism. So without further ado let's introduce our guest.
1: Welcome Dr Florian Kretz. Hello, my name is Dr. Florian Kretz. I'm the CEO, founder and lead surgeon of Precise Vision Ophthalmologists in Germany. Uh, I'm also a cataract and refractive surgeon practicing in Reinig, Graven, and Erlangen, and also for other fellow colleagues in Germany. And it's a real pleasure for me being here. Thank you very much for the invitation, Ben.
0: So Florian, I loved your article. I thought it was really interesting. I know that we've had a little bit of a chat about a constants and your feelings about them too. Um, So this would be a good chance for you to talk about, uh, you know, your views on a constant optimization, because I think it's something that gets talked a lot at conferences, but I really honestly don't feel like that many people actually do it or actually know even how to do it. So, I mean, starting off, what is your overall view about a constant optimization?
1: I think a constant optimization is a really difficult topic because it's actually depending on the formula that you're using, which constants you want to optimize. And probably the biggest challenge is the post-operative subjective refraction that you really have to obtain to get the right a constant. Because not everybody uses uh, standardized distances, standardized uh, optotypes to really do proper refraction and proper visual acuity measurements. And just one or two meters in your measurement room can actually change your refractive outcome. And that leads to false uh, A constants at the end. So it's really important if you really want to optimize your own A constants and use it for your own, that you use the same standardized setting with the same lighting conditions, the same distance, the same optotypes, and best even uh, basically on the same foropter and with the same measurement tools. Personally, I think the approach to collect data together, bringing the data together and having larger data sets helps because that really rules out possible errors like this and you can compare your own, or your own data set will be compared to the data set of someone else and it might even help you to figure out why you're always targeting a plus quarter adopted too much or a quarter adopted too less.
0: It makes a lot of sense. Um, Florian, when we're talking about optimizing a constants and, and the a constants we get given by manufacturers, uh, you know the different formulas, such as Barrett has a you know a lens form and a design form and these sort of different things. Can you optimize all of the different a constants, or are we are we talking about optimizing the basic SRKT a
1: constant? Or well, what we as surgeons can mainly do is we can optimize the basic a constant, like an SRKT that is dependent on the post op refraction. What we can't optimize is we can't figure out the geometry of the IOL. That is data that has to be given by the manufacturer to see where the lens is actually going to sit in place in the capsular back. And we might be able to change the estimation of the effective lens position a little bit but also we have to think about the curvatures of an IOL and where the power is on the front, on the back or on both surfaces, because that also influences the effective lens position that is calculated. So our refraction basically gives us a hint compared to the basic nominal values of the IOL, where this IOL is going to sit in place. And if actually the IOL does have the right power, because depending on the IOL power, there is different norms uh, and standard deviations what power the IOL can actually have, which also influences the post-op refraction and the A constant. So it's always a narrowing mechanism that we are using. And um, you know you were saying about keeping everything as constant as possible, you know, so you're, you're getting really consistent
0: results to work with. Would you also think that people that want to optimize their A constant should break down their patient um, population? So should they look... Should they break it down to an A constant for long eyes, an A constant for short eyes, um, things like that?
1: That's a very difficult topic because it really has to do with the geometry of the IOL. For example, if you just look at three-piece IOL or um, lenses with like a smaller C-loop, the C-loop has the possibility it can basically fold over the optic, which in theory keeps the position of the actual optic on the same spot. While if you look at uh, lenses that uh, basically have a square design from the haptics, the lens can't be, uh, here the haptics can't go basically fold together. So those lenses can actually move if the capsular bag is too small. So for those situations, you should really think about uh, having maybe an A constant for a hyperopic eye. And if we look at all the data, hyperopic eyes are the ones where we have the most problems with any IOLs and any A constants because it's not that predictable. Even folding the C-loop haptic towards the optic can result in a slightly tilt or a slightly movement of the IOL to the posterior part. Personally, I believe if you have a C-loop IOL with an angulation, um, that is probably the most stable also in hyperopic conditions because the posterior capsular back will give additional support. But if the IOL and the haptics are in one plane, that can always be a little bit more difficult, and you just have to analyze your data set. If you have small sample sizes like I wrote in my article, sometimes instead of changing the A constant, you look at your outcomes and if you realize I go slightly more myopic, then you just target slightly more hyperopic to get the right result or the other way around um, without the need of having large sample sizes to really optimize the A constant properly. And if you have outliers, you have to look at the outlier. Maybe it was a short eye or it was an eye with a small white to white where you had the outlier. And then those are the ones where you might need to change your tactic a little bit. But um, personally, I don't really think that any single surgeon um, is even capable of really optimizing all his A constants for himself because you need such a large sample size, especially if you're working with multiple different IOLs. So here, looking at the uh, target refraction and the deviation from target refraction where you landed, I think is a much better approach, especially in the beginning, and especially also in the first 10 cases when you use a new IOL optic. And Florian, talking about numbers, um, you know, would you be thinking sort of 100
0: eyes? You know, For most of us, that's quite a few operating lists. For you, that's a day at the office. But would you be thinking
1: you know, 100 eyes minimum? Personally, I think you need, uh, you need 50 eyes minimum to get reliable data. Um, when I start with a new lens or a new presbyopia correcting lens where they only have nominal uh, A constants, I, look at my, uh, I check after my first five cases and see if I need to adapt target refraction, and then I check again after 10, and then usually after 50. But to really get significantly good numbers, you need a minimum of 100. And usually what uh, we do is, if we have good data, we submit it to IOL.con so they can compare it to their data of the IOLs and you can just get larger sample sizes. And those are the actual constants that then we also use for our IOL master. I know that we've had this argument in person before, but uh, I, have, I have a fear that some of those big
0: data sets, I don't trust their refractions. Uh, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I agree with you. but in a large data set uh, you can identify the outliers much easier and you can actually exclude the outliers and because it comes from several centers, from several surgeons, you can really say, okay, that's our range that is pretty equal plus minus quarter adopter. And those are the outliers. And maybe we just leave them out for the optimization and take a closer look into them. Why have they become outliers? So, I think the difficulty is if you have really large data sets of like 3,000, 4,000 for like some monofocal IOLs that you can use. Um, those outliers are already well identified and they work very well. The difficult is always the start. And if a new lens comes on the market and it comes on the Asia, uh, with data from Asia with high myopic eyes and then it comes from like North uh, Europe with like rather hyperopic patients, and there you really have to see does the data match and can you actually form a proper A constant. That's the reason why IOLCON and before ULIP had uh, A constants for, let's say, Asian eyes that are longer, for hyperopic eyes that are shorter, um, to rule out that uh, problem. But with having large sample sizes, I think you can really optimize the formula. And, you know, that's why the modern formulas have more than one A constant, because you just basically change the other constants, adapting to axial lengths, uh and uh, anterior chamber depth, wide to wide, um, to predict ELP. Florian, I know that you're you're in between operating cases, and so
0: I, I don't want to use up all of your brain power. But uh, with um, you know, we, we bandy around the term optimizing a constant. Like we talk, you know, it get talked about a lot. We talk about how can we improve our outcomes. We talk about it. Can you give a really simple summary of how a surgeon, if they truly did want to optimize their a constant? And not just adjust their refractive target
1: how do you actually do it oh first what i would do is i would uh, i would call warren hill or i would call achim langenbucher and ask them how to obtain my right refraction to really have the right distance and to have the right optotypes because that is really the basic of everything what you need to do and what you need to look into Then I would collect the data. You need your biometry data. Preoperatively, I always perform my biometry again after surgery, uh, and we measure the actual ELP with the IOL master to really see, is the lens where uh, it was supposed to. And then we do uh, a post-op subjective refraction, usually in a time frame between 8 to 12 weeks after surgery. And that data then we use, and uh, usually I send it to Achim Langbucher. I know there's other forms from Warren Hill that you can download where you just put your own data in, and it will calculate the A constant for you. Um, But personally, um, uh, I'll try to send it to someone else to have it double-checked that the data is good and that um, outliers are identified. But that's what I would do if I really want to optimize my own A constants. We work now with EQ Workplace and Forum. So we use uh, EQ Workplace for A constant optimization. So basically it takes the pre-op measurement, the post-op measurement in account, and the subjective refraction automatically and calculates uh, uh, our own A constants, and that's what we are using. But we do average between different surgeons, so we're not having an A constant for every surgeon, because otherwise the data sets would be too small.
0: And um, Florian, what do you think about the future of A-Constants? Because I, I feel like with ray tracing, with um, companies starting to share their lens designs, even with AI, I'm using all these buzzwords that I don't know what they really mean. But, you know, do you think that A-Constants
1: will still be a feature of IOL calculation going forward? They will always be. They might have a different name. There might be like, like Graham Barrett, he has a lens factor. The lens factor basically is... Uh, a number that nominalizes the uh, basically technical design of the IOL and that is one factor that is really needed because uh, the manufacturers do need to tell us where the light is bent inside the IOL and where depending on the outer design of the IOL the IOL is going to sit um, inside the capsular bag. And then there will be surgeon factors like uh, induced astigmatism, which are dependent on the incision sizes. If you look worldwide, we still have incision sizes varying between 1.4 to 3.2 millimeters in average. For example, the German market in average is 2.4 to 2.8, well, while other countries are between 1.8 and 2.2. So um, that is also something that has to be taken uh, into account. So uh, I think the pure A constant how we know it will slowly disappear and there will be other factors coming into place that uh, that basically you can manually type in that's my incision size that's my preferred location or if i want to go on the steep axis like as a surgeon factor you will have a lens factor that is dependent on the optical design you will probably have another factor that is also dependent on like the haptic design of the iol um, and then we have the biometry values. And then we still have the standard deviation of the measurement and the standard deviation in the manufacturing process. And so far, there's only one manufacturer that uh, manufactures and quarter the opto steps, which is LensTech from Barbados. So, all that taken into account, we will find uh, a very good biometry, but we will never be able to really hit our target all the time because of all the other factors influencing it. And, Florian, I really loved how your article
0: didn't just accept that a constant optimization is important. It didn't just say, yeah, this is how you do it. But you presented arguments for and against a constant optimization. And that was quite refreshing to me because we hear so much that you should do it. I loved your article and I feel as though, to me, it made me feel as though, oh, I'm kind of justified that, you know, for a certain lens, I still use the IOCON. I I just use that. I use the manufacturer's a constant. that's okay. It works for me. Um, After reading your article, I felt as though you were quite negative about a constant optimization in general.
1: Um, But it sounds as though actually you do do it. I'm not negative about it. I think the point is you need critical thinking. You know, it's very easy to tell someone you need to optimize your A constants to get better results. But um, if you don't understand all the factors around it, you will never be able to achieve those Good results on a continuous basis, because there is too many influ- uh, influential factors. Just that you, just being able to get repetitively good measurements for the biometry, to get repeatedly good outcomes for the refraction, is a difficulty on its own. So you can't just say, "Oh, you need to optimize your a constants." That's a very easy way to like push people away and say, "Oh, here you have something to do," and um, you really need to look at how you do it. And that is what is later really going to help you. And we will probably not talk about the A constant anymore because that is just something that comes automatically when you create good data. Now, moving from one controversial topic to another, uh, we're going
0: to talk a little bit about surgically induced astigmatism. Uh, I contributed an article to the edition, and I didn't think it would be very controversial at all. I thought that SIA is one of those things where, you know, we all know that we should be making small incisions as far away from the center of the cornea as possible but it definitely stirred up some online debate with a lot of people who are still making incisions on the steep axis. I would love to know as a critical thinker in ophthalmology in general, what are your thoughts on SIA?
1: Well, I think SIA is very important and I do believe that a surgeon needs to know the SIA, but what every surgeon needs to keep in mind is the SIA changes depending on the steep axis of the cornea. And for example, if you are uh, 45 degrees away, uh, you basically, your SIE turns neutral and you just have a change of axis in average. While if you go on the flat axis, you might induce 80% of your surgical induced uh, astigmatism. And if you go on the steep axis, you have a full compensation. Um, there is mechanisms how you can take that into account. For example, EQ Workplace does it. There is other formulas and ray tracing that also do it. Um, I think the key message about SIA is you need to be able to perform the same routine steps in every case. So you know that your SIA is going to be in average, the same for every case, and then you can start using it for optimizing. But if sometimes your incision, because you go sideways becomes a bit bigger or it becomes a bit smaller or, um, it's cricket, um, you know, you can still do phaco through a kick incision, but your SIA changes significantly. And also, like you said before, uh, if you do it clear cornea or if you do it limbo corneal, makes a big difference. Uh, for example, you can do a 3-millimeter incision in the sclera without any SIA. But if you go with 3 millimeters in a clear cornea, you might have 0.75 diopters, depending on the location and the previous astigmatism. So uh, SIA is a learning effect. And um, um, you really need to think about it's not just like a value. It really has to do with like the way you perform surgery yourself. But it is very important if you do a large volume and you're experienced to have a look at it and not just like um, leave it by the side. Because I believe most of the post-op refractive errors, especially regarding uh, toric uh, alignment and stuff, come from not controlling your own surgical induced astigmatism.
0: I agree, and I think SIA is one of those topics that's sort of poorly understood to a point where, you know, all of the calculators ask you for an input for SIA, and there are a lot of people that would say, well, my average SIA might be 0.5 diopters, which is fine, but that's not going to be predictable where that location occurs, because these are all different eyes, where some are with the rule, some are against the rule, and so that predictability and you know, we've heard a lot from people saying, "We'll put in the centroid value, put in the zero point one. Um, that might be your centroid average for your SIA." But still, I feel as though, from there's a lot of evidence to show, even that's not predictable in terms of its location for every single case. So, I I tell people to put in zero into their calculators because if we're going to have an unpredictable error, it may as well be as small as possible. What do you put into your calculators,
1: Florian? opta I put in quarter diopter, and we really look at the steep axis. So, if possible, I go on the steep axis and correct it. And there's a slight normogram in EQ Workplace that corrects for the quarter diopter. And if we do an opposite clear cornea incision, um, I type in 0.4 diopters. But it's a 2.2 millimeter incision, and we basically use the same uh, keratomes uh, for every, like for every case. It's the same model, so that is qu- qu- quite predictable still. If you have very steep corneas, um, it doesn't work.
0: Unusual corneas and unusual biomechanics. I think we don't know enough about them. Um, and, and Florian, do you ever use your SIA to control the stigmatism to a degree where you would not use a toric lens?
1: Yes. Uh, basically, basically we calculate a toric lens for every of our premium cases. And if the, um. The corneal, the total corneal astigmatism is less than 0.75. Then I prefer to go on the steep axis and do an opposite gliclonal incision. I do know that even with my value of 0.4, that might decrease over time. But as long as I have less than three quarters of a of astigmatism, most of the patients come out fine. And those are cases with the measurement and manufacturing error. If you put in a toric IOL, you can also... Uh, basically overestimate the astigmatism, Um, and that's why there I prefer to do it uh, surgically. But I don't do any case or anything in those cases. I just work with an opposite clear cornea incision, if possible.
0: I think it's interesting that we have uh, such different views because I Mm -hmm. I enter zero for my SAA, rely solely on the toric lens, do a 2.2 temporal incision as limbal as possible with every case. Uh, You know, it'll be one day when we do understand corneal biomechanics We'll look back on our different beliefs and we'll actually know how it works and we'll be able to look at each cornea and know how it will respond to an incision but it's not precise at the moment thanks very much florian i'll let you get back to operating uh now if anyone's uh, listening that hasn't had a look at the articles in uh, this month's edition of crst it's a really great summary all about astigmatism management it really is i'm i'm biased because i helped to be the guest editor but there's are some great articles that I'm sure I'll read over time and look back on. So we've got things like an update on biometry from the legendary Lee Wang and Doug Koch, uh, an article about building your practice using customized toric lenses from Lorenz Van Zyl, um, irregular astigmatism management from Alex Stojanovic, and adjustable IOLs from Liliana Werner. So a, lot, a really wide range of astigmatism management and many, many more articles. Some of them have already um, been posted online and been quite controversial It's been great to see some chats about them so in my opinion the whole edition is worth reading and something i'll refer back to so thank you very much for joining us for this discussion of astigmatism management and cataract surgery we've covered a great deal of ground today a special thanks to florian for lending his expertise and popping out of the operating theater to have a chat as we conclude this episode of crst the podcast Be sure to check out more on this topic in the August issue of CRST, available online at crstoday.com. Thank you very much for listening. For more shows like the one you just listened to, check out the podcast channel on itube.net.